Welcome to From Heartache to Healing and Hope with your host, Bernadette Winters-Bell, LMSW. This podcast explores the many layers of life through the lens of loss and grief, often with special guests who share their perspectives on this universal yet unique process. These explorations can offer you, the listener, avenues to encourage you to have these conversations with yourself, your family, your community, your world. Welcome. I'm Bernadette Winters-Bell, your host of From Heartache to Healing and Hope. And in my podcast, this first series called Same Storm, Different Boat, well, this interview, I think many people are going to relate to. This is Ben Riker, and he does work within New York State to help people in sustained recovery. And many organizations look to his organization to be able to get resources and areas of support. He's a man personally and professionally that knows so much about recovery and how it's been during this pandemic. I'm so hopeful this will help so many people. Come join me soon. Take care. Welcome. I'm Bernadette Winters-Bell, and this is my podcast, From Heartache to Healing and Hope. And in this series, Same Storm, Different Boats, I would love to welcome in Ben Riker. Welcome, Ben. Hi, Bernadette. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So I know you have a very interesting background. Would you be so kind as to introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. Uh, well, first and foremost, my name is Ben Riker, and I am a person in long-term sustained recovery uh, from both substance use and mental health disorders. Um, my background, uh, I guess, is um, most recently is uh, I'm a certified recovery peer advocate for the state of New York, as well as a New York certified peer specialist, which is a um, more on the mental health than substance use uh, side of things. Um, I'm currently employed as the statewide, uh, statewide recovery, youth recovery program coordinator for Friends of Recovery New York, and we're based out of Albany, uh, but we do cover kind of everywhere. And uh, wow. in a nutshell, Every, that's everywhere in New York State. Correct. Yep. Wow. Now, I guess, well, I'll ask the question. Um, I learned that after World War One, people would ask one another how was your war? Because they didn't have the communication and social media contacts and resources we do. So in your first year professional life, how has your pandemic been, Ben? So uh, the way that, that my organization currently operates is we are really a, a support organization. We don't work on the ground one-on-one uh, -on -one with individuals. Uh, who are struggling. So we advocate for other organizations. We advocate for um, causes. We advocate. Um, we're we're located in Albany, Albany, because you know that's that's where the governing <laughs> governing happens here in New York. So um, you know we are really an organizational entity. We we bring um, other organizations who have uh, very similar missions and visions together around the state. So my pandemic has been from my living room. Uh, I've been, we've been working remotely since March. Um, and it's been, 
a lot, you know, it's been um, big time adjustments, uh, um, you know, in, as a person in recovery, there was a lot of things that I learned in very early recovery on, um, you know, coping mechanisms and, and um, a lot of things that I haven't really had to lean on uh, for a long time. And I find myself, uh, you know, opening my toolbox and, and looking for those skills that I developed um, years ago as a, a, as a person in early recovery. You know, it's funny, I talk about with my clients about grief and I say, I'm gonna give you a coping toolbox. Of course, it's gonna be virtual and you can make it what you want. It could be wood or fabric or whatever, um, but you have to have more than just a screwdriver, so to speak, in that coping, because if you were in the kitchen and only had one tool, you couldn't make many things, right, right. So you had to go into your coping toolbox and dust some of them off and bring them out. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, some really, really simple things that I wasn't doing. Right. Um, you know, just taking uh, a few minutes every morning and centering myself, um, breathing. You know, I find my job now. I'm, I, I have a lot of responsibility. I'm, I came from a local organization, Friends of Recovery Delaware at Sego, uh, right. where I was working on the ground. I was working in the emergency department and in the shelter and um, you know, working with people in crisis every day, uh, where I found myself, you know, needing to, um, to center myself, to take a breath, to mm -hmm. um, make sure that my self-care regimen was in order. And, and coming uh, to where I've been here for a year or so, you know, I've, I've set some of those things aside, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in an administrative supervisory role. And, and, uh, you know, while I have a lot of meetings, I'm not dealing with uh, either myself in crisis or anyone else in crisis on a daily basis. So, so yeah, pulling pulling some of those some of those tools back out and and uh, making you know reestablishing those habits that um, that helped me in both you know my substance use disorder and and with my mental health, you know reestablishing some of those things. And I have to say it's been um, a good thing. You know, it's uh, you, I, you don't realize how far away you get from those things that are important until you you go to you know kind of draw on them again so it's that that piece of it has been uh pretty rewarding that's you know i talk about in the grief work that i do the gifts of the dying or the gifts of the grieving but i've also been talking to people about the gifts of the pandemic now i don't speak about that with everyone because not everyone has felt so many gifts sure. um but even for you to say, no, this caused me to open this box up, blow some of the dust off of it and say, oh yes, these are good useful tools that help my mind reset. You know, Because when you're doing the breathing, as you well know, when you take even just three slow, deep breaths, literally neurologically, your mind begins to go to a reset. Right, right. Absolutely. And not <laughs> is not <laughs> right, but something as simple as that. Um, but that we, if we draw upon it and use it, it can be oh so helpful. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty inspirational, you know, for other people um, who are working from home and yeah. looks like a lovely living room. And I'm happy for you because you've spent so many months there. <laughs> I tell you, I was, I had my office, you know, in back in March, um, my kids use my office for crafts and uh, it's full of camping gear and all this stuff. And I sort of spent some time 
making a nice work from home area and you know did all of these things and about three months ago i found myself right back on the couch laptop on the coffee table like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fake it this is right. you know, um but long yeah. as you wear pants to the zoom interview you're all set I, <laughs> I do wear, i put pants on every day yeah that's always that's always a good thing wow and so um have you found that the people that you're working with and having meetings with, um, that how has it affected them, the pandemic and the work that they're doing? So a lot of our advocacy work is with uh, local organizations. We have a lot of Friends of Recovery uh, kind of chapters around the state that are all independent nonprofits. Um, generally, uh, they operate uh, recovery community and outreach centers. And we have one here in Oneonta and one in Delhi that Friends of Recovery um, Delorazigo operates. And, uh, you know, for those people, um, there is a lot of pain right now. There's a lot, a lot of people are struggling. You know, my, um, for New York, um, really advocates for the peer role, um, for that certified recovery peer advocate role, that recovery coach role. Um, you know, it's, it's the value of lived experience helping someone else. Um, and you know, there's now, as of 2020, there's uh, the Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services, which is now, thanks to our advocacy, uh, the Office of Addiction Services and Supports. We got rid of that um, abuse word that we don't like to use, um, but we uh, we they now have a mandate that all outpatient. Uh, clinics in the state employ uh, peer advocates and and provide peer services. Um, so we do a lot of trainings around uh, supervision, around um, you know what what is the role of a peer in these clinical settings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but a lot of the community-based organizations that we work with on a daily basis, um, you know, their staffs are generally people who are in long-term recovery or who are in early recovery. Um, you know, some folks have, uh, some folks could be really great at their job, um, but still be struggling, you know, so not only are the communities um, struggling that, that these organizations are in, but the individuals who are running and working in these organizations, um, you know, really need a lot of support too. Um, so we're, we've been, you know, just really advocating for uh, organizational wellness within, within these different organizations. We've been advocating for um, support from, from lawmakers uh, for funding, which is uh, right now is really, really hard to come by. Uh, across the board, Oasis Services are looking at about a 20%, um, we're calling it a withhold, but it's a cut. Um, it's like the schools and many other places. It, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing um, recurrence among um, staff actually uh, really spike. Folks that are working as peers um, who may have had, you know, five years, 10 years of, of sustained uh, abstinence, finding themselves uh, having recurrences. Uh, of course, overdose rates in New York are going to show that they've, you know, we made some really amazing gains between 2017 and 2020, 2019. Uh, 2020 is looking tra just tragic um, as those number, we start seeing those numbers. Um, so it's been, you know, it's been a year to, uh, to forget. I was gonna say a year to remember, but I think it's a year to forget. It's a- Maybe it's both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, because if, of course, if we remember, we improve upon it, hopefully. 
you know. I was thinking yeah. uh, prior to starting our interview that um, until recently, at least in my mind, we hadn't heard a lot about, I heard that the numbers were going up for sure for uh, use of um, substances um, in a way that people could find harmful. But it's only recently you're starting to see stories about that more than just a blip on the night news. And I thought, well, between the politics and Black Lives Matters and the pandemic, I guess there wasn't that much airtime left over, you know? Yeah, and I, I was thinking about how um, frustrating, maybe it's not even a strong enough word, that people would feel work, working at your level, working one-on-one, -on -one, being a person, having the difficulty, that your situation is not being highlighted, is not being acknowledged. And, it, you know, and, you know, two years ago, it, there was more talk about it and the numbers are going up. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes it terribly difficult, I would imagine. It's important to remember that we were in the midst of, of a pandemic. Before right. this pandemic started, we lost 71,000 people in 2017 to overdose. Um, and like these deaths uh, are largely preventable, I think, with good policy, um, those overdose deaths are largely preventable with good policy as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it, you know, um, I don't like to like create competition among needs, right? Um, yeah, my pandemic's bigger than yours. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, you know, there's, there's, um, there's tragedy all over and, and right. I, I don't think that there's more weight in one place than another. One, one um, area deserves more weight than another. It's all, you know, it's, it's all um, really it's heavy. All heavy stuff. Absolutely. And if you're already dealing with substance and or mental health issues, let's say, which often can um, certainly overlap. I was going to say coexist and that was right. <laughs> overlap. Yes. Um, already the uh, sense of anxiety can go right up really quickly with right with the news of the pandemic and these many people died and these many people are hospitalized and uh, these many people have the virus now and what we're doing about it or not doing about it and Black Lives Matters and the, the politicians. And that's just like the top three, you know? Yeah. And people's level of anxiety um, for me is equal to what anxiety they had before, what levels they were working with, what coping skills are in their toolbox, yeah. right? How much of the news they're watching <laughs> and how, <Certainly>. they, right? <laughs> and how they're able to access support at a time like this, you know? Um, because when you go to the hospital, people aren't saying, are you having a substance issue? No, no, you got a temperature, you got a cough? you know, at the door in an emergency room, they're waiting for you there with those questions, right? Wow. And we know, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the really the cores of, of the cause of addiction for so many people is trauma, you know, and mm -hmm. the loss, uh, even in our local community where, you know, where we are in New York is um, so many, you know, I've experienced so much loss, whether it be to overdose or suicide, uh, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, car accidents related to alcohol. Um, but then to put, um, 
you know, the loss uh, around COVID on top of that um, is it's, you know, it, it really is, it's a lot. And, and you talk about, you know, our anxiety levels and, you know, I'm, I find myself, you know, I, I can, I think that I take pretty good care of myself and I still find myself uh, struggling with my sleep, uh, waking up with that, um, you know, that dread. Um, and, you know, for people that have never struggled with that, you know, I think as far as my own addiction went, that was a, a major, 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 since I was a, a tiny little child, that fear and anxiety and all of these things. Um, but for people who have had a kind of quote unquote, um, you know, healthy mental health, um, who are just now starting to experience that stuff, it's, it, uh, it's, it's really difficult, you know, on the flip side of that, I think, you know, what we're doing now, this, you know, this platform that we're able to communicate um, virtually is, is amazing, you know, and, and to watch mutual aid groups adapt almost overnight, you know, our, our Alcoholics Anonymous communities and Narcotics Anonymous communities and smart recovery communities and harm reduction communities, um, you know, almost within a matter of weeks uh, adapt that way. And, you know, my pathway to recovery included uh, a 12-step fellowship. And, uh, you know, I'm able to go on meetings with people who are in California and Alaska and France. Um, and it's been, it's been really great, you know, but at the same time, you know, in our rural communities um access to technology is is not always uh not a given that you have that it's not right. a given um you know and so you know we see some some socioeconomic impact around that stuff uh for those people that you know are now disconnected that we're that we're going to in-person meetings and things like that exactly well if you're in a household with say yourself and three other people maybe a spouse two children maybe others, um, and you have Wi-Fi, but it can get wonky. <laughs> sure. We are in rural upstate New York. If all four people need to get on it for work, for meetings, for school, um, you know, there isn't always success for all four people that the Wi-Fi will sustain those kinds of things. Absolutely. So that's yeah. something else on top of it, you know? Yeah, and then on top of that is the question of creating a private space to, you know, whether it's meeting with your therapist or meeting with your mutual aid group, um, you know, ha finding that physical private space in order to be able to comfortably share what's going on without kind of advertising to the household your personal stuff. Well, um, I can tell you that I know on the, the news shows, they've seen a lot of kitchens where people are interviewed However, what I've seen, I've seen kitchens, I've seen more bathrooms and bedrooms, <laughs> something with a door. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's what the space says to me when I see it. Oh, they've gone to a place they feel that is safe. You know, absolutely. Ab absolutely. Those are all changes. Um, do you think that, um, or have you uh, experienced during this time about the youth? and they have been um, more availing themselves of coping skills, maybe not so healthy? So it's amazing. I actually have a 12-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. Um, you know, I had a lot of anxiety and fear around, you know, last year school basically uh, went kaput. You know, there was, it went virtual. Um, late in the school year. And I had a lot of things that my daughter hadn't started kindergarten yet. My son uh, was in sixth grade. And 
it was amazing watching how simply he adapted. Um, you know, he certainly can't manage his own schedule yet. That's like, <laughs> it's just uh, not going to happen. So um, it was really amazing watching, you know, that resilience uh, with them. Um, even my daughter, who's now in kindergarten, um, you know, my son actually got COVID. Uh, mm. Diagnosed, nobody else got it. He was quarantined for two weeks. Um, but, you know, the resilience with, uh, the support from the school system, the re even his little sister that going from that fear, oh my God, I've been hearing about this virus, this virus or virus, is Jonah gonna be okay? To overnight kind of being like, oh yeah, he's got the virus, he's gonna be fine, you know what I mean? Uh, so- um, Especially you know, at five, when people are talking about a virus, which could be what? Is right, a virus right. something that lives right, there, right. Santa Claus at the North Pole? Like it's <laughs> so it's not a really a concrete thing for a lot yeah. of us, you know. Yeah, absolutely, but what you know, watching their resilience has been um, heartening. It's been really, really amazing. You know, um, that being said, you know, from the substance use community, I mean, I work. I'm the youth recovery program coordinator, which from where we sort of look at youth is maybe 12 to 30. Um, you know, it's youth, young adult. And, um, you know, that, I guess, in that population, um, I think there's some pretty significant struggles. But again, I think so much of that goes back to socioeconomics, it goes back to race, it goes back to um, access, mm -hmm. equity, um, you know, equitable uh, access. Um, so, you know, while I'm able to provide, um, luckily, thankfully, I'm able to provide um, a healthy home for my kids. Um, that's not the case with everybody. Uh, you know, we have people in the restaurant industry um, oh. who were comfortable, who are no longer comfortable. We have people in all kinds of, you know, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think I, I, I'm, I have a lot of gratitude around the fact that I haven't been economically impacted like a lot of families have. Um, so we are seeing stories about youth who basically school systems have lost, you know, um, they're, uh, they don't have access to the technology. Um, so they're losing this, this year of their life and, and, you know, um, schools provide a lot of important things, food. <laughs> well, um, yeah, because some of them that, um, maybe that they depended on the school for at least two meals. Of course, yeah. And also for structure and guidance, which may or may not have been present in the household that they live. And Absolutely. And there's, of course, the students who this venue of Zoom or Skype or doesn't work, you know? Yeah. They need to be in that energy and feel it. For some students, I know it's been a blessing because for those that don't want too much socialization or stimulus or sensory overload, this has been great. But, you know, there's the others that haven't. Have you seen the numbers of substance abuse? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that, that's an old word. Substance, what do I say now? Substance use disorder. Yeah. I mean, so I do a lot of work around language. Um, you know, I recognize the clinical language around, around, you know, substance abuse versus substance use. Um, so that's one of those words that, you know, we, 
we're growing out of, I think. Um, I'll grow with you. I'm, I'm all with you, bro. Okay. So have you seen more youth or young adults uh, use substances in this time? Have you seen those numbers go up? We honestly just don't have data, you know? And actually at the moment right now, uh, my team is developing a statewide survey for youth um, that'll go out. Hope we're trying to have it go out to all um, all school districts in the state. Uh, whether we get um, the AOK to to go ahead and do that is is another thing. But we'll be looking. If we're hoping to launch February first, and we'll have some data to start um, analyzing. We're hoping in ninety days um, to start taking a look at it. And it's as much for us. You know, we're we try to help identify need right identify okay. identify gaps in services gaps in need and then we we send that data back to the state and we send that to our local nonprofits and our human services organizations and say look this is both for youth and young adults and then for new york on the adult side but you know we try to say look we have ten thousand responses and you know this need um transportation <laughs> right housing what is it um, and we develop a policy statement around um, the results of, of that data collection um, that we hope our, our policymakers uh, look at and heed. But so we don't know right now. We're just we're in this in this place. We're throwing, you know, as far as our programming goes and the programming we're encouraging our partnering organizations, we're, uh, you know, in all honesty, we're throwing spaghetti at the wall. Get to the wall and see what sticks. And, <laughs> and when we find something that sticks, we we really try to build on that. Um, but we know we're missing things. You know, the the core of of this peer to peer work, um, really the you know the basis for it is is being person centered, allowing uh, the individual to identify their need rather than me defining the need for someone else. Right. And um, so you know that that's what it, that's what this data collection is about. It's about me not making an observation and trying. You know, I can make an observation and say, oh, I think. Uh, you know, housing is the number one need in Otsego County. The reality may look something completely different when we actually speak to individuals. Who are well, sure. that's what good research is, is not deciding ahead of time that housing yeah. will be. You might think something and then learn something else as, exactly. as you go good data research. Absolutely. Um, oh, go ahead. No, you know, I think that... Um, as you were talking before, I was thinking about all the different aspects and um, resources pivoted when online, you know, as opposed to a meeting. Uh, Red Door, is that the? the Red the Door Church. Yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah. so if someone is listening to this, and I know a lot of people are, where would you direct them for online resources? So locally, um, in our area, Fordu, Friends of Recovery Delaware at Sego has um, mountains and mountains of resources, both within their walls and around the rest of the community um, for both at Sego and Delaware County. Um, statewide, I would encourage people to visit our website, Friends of Recovery New York website. Um, we link to every recovery community and outreach center. Wow. So that was, why don't you say that again a little slower? The, the one that you work for? I work for four Friends of Recovery New York. It's 4 ny.org. Okay. And we have a statewide resources page, and we um, provide links to 
treatment to recovery post treatment recovery support services. Um, you know, really, you you name it. Um, it's a we have a really easy to navigate. Um, oh, oh that's key. <laughs> and I, you know, a lot of this stuff we were talking a little bit about. Um, you know that the services being person centered and and goal oriented, and it it always amazed me when I was working as a peer professional in the emergency department, in the shelter and, and out of, out of uh, Friends of Recovery, Delorazigo's Recovery Center, um, those needs that people actually did identify if you let them, you know, as, you know, what's going to support your recovery. Um, I had a woman who was in her mid fifties. Um, she had been, uh, considered herself to have a substance use disorder since she was, you know, in her very early teens. Um, when I asked her on day one, you know, what, what do you feel like you need to sustain your recovery? She wanted to learn how to read. She wanted to be able to read a book to her grandchildren. Oh. And, you know, that's something that I would never identify, but she carried her whole life so much shame around that, oh. you know, and so much, um, yeah, sh you know, shame and embarrassment around that, that it really fed her addiction. And we were able to link her up with uh, literacy volunteers of Otsego County. And, you know, this was a couple of years ago and she's, you know, now a couple of years in sustained recovery. And, and that was one of those things, you know, and the other thing that surprised me was dental health, you know, um, oh. what do you need to feel like um, to sustain your own recovery here in early recovery? And it's like, I can't get a job because I'm afraid to smile. People think I'm a jerk because I don't smile. People, I can't get a job because I'm, you know, and that, you know, when we let people identify what those needs actually are, um, it's really, really amazing. And it makes so much sense when, when they start talking about those needs and why, you know, those are things that I never need in early recovery. You know, I needed, first of all, I needed mental health care. You know, that was something that I needed. Um, so, you know, I identified this need for some clinical services um, when I was, uh, you know, finding abstinence. Right. Um, and other things are, you know, some people don't, they don't want to be abstinent and their recovery doesn't include a goal of abstinence. Right. It includes a pathway of harm reduction, you know, how every Monday, every Sunday I drink, you know, two dozen beers and... Uh, we have domestic violence problems in my house and I lose jobs on Mondays and I can't, you know, how do I help that person drink six beers on Sunday instead of 24, right? So um, when we let, you know, that person-centered work, it, you know, it's, it's really at like the core of what we advocate for. Just absolutely amazing. When we allow people, like you say, to tell us what they need, because it not only says, what's foremost, not in their mind and their heart, but like you said, you use the phrase feeds their addiction. And so I think of these issues as holes in our heart, you know, that were created. And if we're filling the hole in our heart, the hole is created by a trauma of some sort and we're filling it with caretaking, drugs, exercise, we can sure. name any number of things. Absolutely. And as we all know, putting more in <laughs> doesn't take care of the hole in the heart. But if we say, oh, what do you think caused the hole in your heart? Well, you know, my mother always said I was not so pretty. 
And so now I have all these teeth missing and I can't get a job. Well, that frames who they think of themselves as. So it, not only feeding the addiction, from my perspective, it's not allowing what's in the hole in the heart to come out, the toxicity. And they don't even have a chance of moving forward if that isn't addressed, you know? For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So let me ask you a question. Um, with all of the work that you've done, and in this unbelievable time in our history, in our family, our community, our country, our world, what gives you hope? Well, again, I, you know, I'm a dad and um, seeing the goodness of, in my kids gives me hope. I mean, you know, my daughter will never see me uh, use substances, right? Um, my son, when he was very little, certainly did. Um, but seeing his goodness and kindness and like uh, that reinforces my hope, you know, every day. They're just such great um, little human beings, you know, and, um, you know, it gives me confidence that I'm doing something right. <laughs> um, so that's amazing. And then, um, you know, looking at the tireless work of um, so many people around the state, it's tireless and it's thankless um, around substance use, around mental health, around um, social inequities. Um, you know, I tend to bombard myself with cable news, right? With internet news. Um, I'm a bit of a political junkie. Uh, and junkie is another word we don't like to use, by the way, but um, I do. I identify certainly as a as a, a politics junkie, and um, there is a lot of uh, you know. It's I think we're in a place right now where it's safe to uh, safe to hate. You know, it's there's no shame around um, expressing your prejudices. There's we've lost any sense of shame around. Um, a lot of things that would have been you wouldn't have said out in the open are okay to say right now. Um, so when I see people rallying against that stuff, when I see people standing up uh, for goodness, when I see people um, being brave, you know, I know, you know, we're in a rural community, um, which in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean um, an ignorant community, but there there is a prevalence of um, of fear of the unknown and fear of the unlike you know dissimilar dissimilarities. Um, so when I see people, when I know that you know somebody posts something on social media that's very courageous, um, gives me tons of hope. When somebody says something publicly and takes a stand publicly. Um, from a position of courage, it gives me a lot of hope. You know, I think there is more goodness in the world than than evil. Um, well, uh, evil evil gets more playtime. But evil is louder, and evil gets yes. more playtime, right? And it's uh, so, you know, those display public displays of courage, I think, are really empowering. Uh, they make me more courageous in my own life. Um, so, I, yeah, I would say that's where the hope lies right now. I love it. Wonderful, because that's something that I believe will inspire my audience and you and others can carry that forward. That's not a short-term hope. I love it. Well, I want to thank you so much, Ben, for joining me today on Same Storm, Different Boats here on the podcast from Heartache to Healing and Hope. It's been 
very enlightening to learn about what's being done and to give me hope and my audience um, for the people here in New York State. So we say thank you. And thanks again for joining me. Thank you, Bernadette. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you.